Amen. Guys, would you grab hold of a Bible and join us tonight? We are going to be in the book of Acts. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 11, picking up our study. On, on Wednesday nights, we're working through the Bible at a pace, usually about a chapter a week. That's going to be our intention uh, at, at the outset. We're going to say that's going to be our intention. We'll see if we're able to make it. God willing, we will. But in the midst of it, that's our goal, you know, kind of a, a wider, you know, view to see the whole overview in the midst of it, putting it together. And we're hoping that you're there with us, hoping you're kind of tracking with that as we're journeying through the, the Bible together. If you don't have a Bible, they're there in the front of your chairs. You can grab one page number on the screen. Uh, if you want to use an electronic device, that works as well. But we want this evening for God to open his word and just to speak it both in opening understanding to you, but just speaking into your life right where that is. And so let's do, as we often do, uh, as we approach his word, let's just pause and ask him for help. I'm going to lead in prayer, hoping you would pray as well. Let's just ask that God would meet us and speak to us what he has in store for us. Father, how we do just want to come before you right now and ask for help. Lord, your word is, is good and true and right. How we need to see it and understand it. We approach this passage this evening and just ask that you would help us to be able to, to understand what you're doing and then take it into our hearts and lives as you would do. God, we believe, uh, believe in your faithfulness. And, and I just ask for ears to hear, eyes to see your work to happen in, through, around, above. Meet us, meet us right now. Help us to hear you. We ask for that right now as we thank you and surrender this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is doing a work in the world. Uh, we think about it. The book of Acts is in a key part of that story. It's a story that we've kind of described as what Jesus is continuing to do through the Holy Spirit, through his church, that you see the book of Acts that is this kind of unfolding of that journey of watching how God is doing that, what Jesus said he would do. We think about his promise there in Matthew 16, where he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I want to tell you that's true. That's what Jesus said he would do. That's what Jesus did do in the book of Acts. That's what he is doing today. That's what he's faithful to do. Part of what we get to see in the midst of this is to see him, right? to see his good work, to see his faithfulness in so doing. In fact, I want to just remind you of where we are in the book of Acts tonight. Not only is Jesus building his church, but he gave us actually the blueprint that would really be the flow that happens through the book of Acts. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. That instruction that Jesus gave his, his disciples who were there, he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to represent me. I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you and you're going to take this. You're going to take the message. It's going to begin in Jerusalem. That, that city that, that where Jesus died, it'll go to the region around it, to Judea. Then it would go to Samaria beyond, and then it would cross to the rest of the world. It would then move into Gentile territory, taking people who, who've not yet heard the truth. If you've been with us in the book of Acts, that's right where we are. Here in Acts uh, 11, we have found ourselves where that envelope, that line is being pressed. Up before chapter 10, we'd covered three of them. The gospel had reached Jerusalem, it had reached Judea, and it had reached Samaria. It had yet to cross into that final category. It had yet to kind of make that space that God would be, you know, reaching into the Gentile world, and yet that's exactly what happened. And if you were with us in chapter 10, it was an incredible story. It was a story of both God's work in Peter and God's work in Cornelius, the Gentile who gets saved, and his family, and how God was organizing and putting it all together and bringing it into space that the gospel would go forward, and they got saved. And we spent two weeks on that, so I'm not even going to try to unpack that whole story, but it was an incredible part of the story. Like, that's what's happening. This is moving forward. The, 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 the work that God is doing in the world is moving forward. Well, we find ourselves here in chapter 11, and that's what they're going to be trying to figure out. So it's happened. Gentiles have gotten saved. Uh, Cornelius has believed, his family has believed. But at this point, so far, at this moment, the church, the people who follow followers of Jesus, they're, Jew, they're all Jewish. 
I mean, they're all in, in that, that category of, of the Jews, that those who Jesus and the disciples were Jews and the gospel and just beginning there. And it hasn't yet crossed that. And they're struggling. They're struggling with this. So when they hear the story uh, of what you and I got, got to see the last couple studies, we notice what happens. There in verse 1, it says it this way. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Like, Gentiles got saved. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. It's an argument. It's a discussion. It's a place where they're wrestling this thing through. Now, it's an incredible story. It's a story that, again, helps us walk in this journey. And one of the things we've held out to you uh, to understand in the book of Acts is that this is not a story of people. This is not a story of you know, incredible people who planned out this work. This is God. This is God doing a work in, in, in saving people in the world, and he's still doing this. And, and really, the people of God are trying to figure that out. And so that's what we're going to walk through. We're going to watch them do it. But we want to take that in a way that will help it both just connect where you can see it and just hopefully understanding how it happened there in this kind of unique situation, but also apply it into your life right where you are. So I want to give it to you this way, and again, it's you know, kind of one angle on it, and maybe God will do even far beyond that, and, and long that he would, but I want you to think about God's uncomfortable work, how it, sometimes the things that he does takes us outside of our comfort zones. Hey, 100%, that's what's happening. Um, at this moment, for these Jewish believers, they're there, and they're like, wait, what? Like, Gentiles are going to get saved? I mean, like, they don't have to become Jews first, and, and they're finding themselves incredibly uncomfortable with kind of following God into this next stage of life and this next stage of there, but it's right to do so. It's the gospel that for most of us, we believe and understand that, that this is a gospel for all the world, and yet they're just beginning to wrap their mind around it, and it's pressing through their uh, uncomfortableness, there is pressing through their prejudices, it's pressing through their understandings, and God's inviting them to step forward. Now, here's the deal. God does this a lot. Uh, God has a way in our lives of very often bringing us towards things that He has for our lives that take us outside our comfort zone. I don't know if you figured this out yet. I don't know if you figured out how God does that, that so often things that he has for your life, things that he wants to do for you, invite you forward into a space that it's just, you, again, it's just not what's normal for you. In fact, it's very perhaps uncomfortable. Hey, some of you know my story, so I won't spend a bunch of time on it. But hey, I think about what I'm doing right now, and I just want to tell you 100% yes. Um, so like before I was a Christian and as a young man, uh, there were like two things I decided in my high school years, never speak in public and never lead anything. Those were the two things that I decided in life. And my guidance counselor sat down with me in my junior high school. And they're like, dude, you know yourself. This is great. This is wonderful. Like you should do that with the rest of your life. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Never speak in public, never lead anything. I get saved and God begins to call me to, to be a, a teacher and eventually a pastor. And I'm like, no way. Like, that's, that, I'm, that's way outside my comfort zone. That is not who I, who I want to be. That's not how I see this whole thing playing out. And yet, God was right. He drew me forward. And I have found that God does that a lot, that, that he has this way of looking at, at these places. Sometimes these lines we draw, it's like, this is how I do life. And God's like, ah, that's funny. Come this direction. You know, you know that, that's kind of funny that you think that's going to be the way this thing plays out. And he invites us to do that. And yet, in that process... What they're facing here, we face. And so again, for some of you, this is going to be like, yeah, I've walked that journey. I know what it feels like. For most of us, it's a continuing journey. For somebody, it might be right where you are. That in one sense, we're talking about tonight where God allows things to begin pressing you outside of that. And so we want to look at it in just a few ways as we move our way through this chapter and just talking about just this idea of walking in those things that God would draw us to outside of our comfort zone, and it really begins with what we just saw. You know, here it is, that the Gentiles have received the word of God in verse 1, and Peter comes up to Jerusalem, and those of the circumcision, Jewish uh, believers, they, they are arguing. They're contending, and that word contending, it's a sharp contention. They're raising uh, questions. They're raising questions like, why would you do that? 
uh, why, would you, why would you do this? And they ask him very specifically, you know, in verse 3, you went up to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Like, what were you thinking? I mean, for a, for a good Jewish boy growing up in that world, that's not what they did. I mean, hey, don't misunderstand it. Within that culture, it is very much that way. To eat with somebody is to communicate acceptance. It's to communicate fellowship. It's to communicate uh, relationship in ways that's much beyond where we are here in America, and they're struggling. Like, like, Peter, you ate with Gentiles. Like, why? Like, why would you do that? Like, what were you thinking? I mean, how, what, and, and so they find themselves struggling with this reality that, if you're tracking again, God's doing. God's the one that's moving this forward. So sometimes those questions happen. They happen here for them, but as we think about places in our life, hey, it happens the same way. Sometimes things that God draws you to, people will ask you questions like, what in the world are you thinking? Like, why would you even think about that? Hey, sometimes it happens. But if we're all together more honest, more often not the questions are from our own hearts. Like, no. Like, God, what in the world are you thinking? Like, no, that should, I should, no, like, this is not, this is not a good idea. It's a terrible idea for, for Jim to teach a Bible study. Horrible idea, you know, kind of thing in my life is kind of walking through that. And you might have that line and you're like, God, no, like, no, no, this is not the way this is going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen in the midst of this. And so as they're wrestling this thing, whole thing through, I want you to watch how Peter approaches it, how we get to watch how that happens and how they're invited into it. Well, it begins just telling us there in verse 4, it says, But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying. So he just begins to tell the story. He just begins to tell the story. And there's a real precision in the wording here in this verse. He says he just began. He began to explain it. He explains it in order. He tells it from the beginning. He just tells the story. In fact, he does a really good job. He gives a synopsis of everything we've just read in chapter 10. And so I'm going to read it through with you, though we're not going to pause and make a lot of comments because we just covered all of these details for you guys who have been with us. But I just want you to follow that he does a good job just telling the story of what God did, of what God was doing in the midst of this. Verse 5. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals on the earth, of the earth, um, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and they were all drawn up to, again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved. And I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. So he tells the story. Again, I'm hoping that that's not new information for you. If you. I'm hoping that you were with us last time. If not, I invite you to go back and read the whole chapter yourself or, or hear those messages. But he does a good job telling the story. In fact, that's a little bit what I want you to think through because here's the deal. He doesn't really add to it, nor does he really subtract to it. Why do I say it that way? Well, maybe, maybe this isn't you. Uh, maybe I'm not talking to anybody but me this evening. But God really does not need our help. Why do I say that? Well, sometimes as we find ourselves wanting to tell a story, um, it becomes that proverbial, you know, fish story. You know, it's like, well, you know, yeah, you know, you know, the first time you tell it, you know, you got a, you know, little one pounder, and then by the time you're like ten pound, I mean, what, I mean, every time you tell a story, it just gets bigger and gets weirder. 
And sometimes when we think about what God is doing in our lives, we feel almost the need to do that. Almost the need to make it look better or make ourselves look better uh, than, we, than we are. And Peter really just doesn't do that. I mean, he tells the whole story. He tells his own kind of foibles into it. He's like, yeah, I was there. I had this vision. And, and I, I argued with God. I was telling him, not so, Lord, which is a really bad idea. Like, that's, that you can't really, and we talked about that in our last study, you can't really do that. But Peter's like, honest, like, I did it. And then he did it three times, which was for Peter, again, was a part of his own lessons in the midst of it. And he tells the whole story. He tells how it happened. He tells what happened in the midst of it. With, without adding it, he just says, hey, this is what happened. He just tells the story, as he said from the beginning. He explains it in order from the beginning. And I just, hey, I just would take a moment to say this. Hey, God is doing a work in our world, guaranteed. Jesus is building his church. And he doesn't need your embellishment. He doesn't need you to make him look better. He doesn't need you to make uh, you look better. I mean, it's okay sometimes just to be honest. Here's what happened. I mean, here's the story. Here's the story of, of what took place in his life. And here's how it happened. And just looking at it that way and that clarity can be incredibly helpful. So he does that. He just tells the story. He just lets them understand what it is and the things that are taking place. And then he does a couple of things. Verse 16, Peter takes us into that moment and to what he's thinking. He says, then I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, pause. So it's happening. I mean, Peter's right there. I mean, he's in the midst of this moment. He has been led by God to be there in Caesarea. He has shared a message. He's shared the gospel. He's shared salvation. Uh, things that are happening. And then God does it. I mean, people get saved. Uh, they get filled in the Spirit, much like a Pentecost kind of thing, much like what happened back in Acts chapter 2. So it's really definitive. It's God. And as Peter is watching this, everything that he, you know, others are wrestling with, he was wrestling with, and at that moment, a verse comes to mind. At that moment, he remembers Jesus speaking. He says, huh, I remember. I remember what Jesus said. I remember what he said, that he said this, this would be how this workings, that we would be baptized with water, but then the Holy Spirit would work, and so he's able to gaze upon this and kind of cut bearings around that and help him understand that. And it's worth just noting, hey, that's a process that God does in our lives, that one of the ways that he invites us to be able to walk in things that he has for us is to be able to say, okay, here's what's happening, and then often just to say, okay, is this actually biblical? I mean, is what, you know, is, is, is taking place here? And if it's not, I mean, if it's not, if it's like, well, you know, it's not actually in the Bible. Hey, just, let's just be clear. That's not the way God's going to work. It becomes a really clear, you know, one of those places saying, hey, I don't know what this is, you know, but this isn't God because um, it's, it's not what, this book is everything. This is our guide. Uh, you know, God gave us everything necessary for life and godliness. And so if somebody comes and says, hey, God is doing something, it's totally different. Than, than what the Bible says. I'm just going to be honest with you. You should be like, I'm totally not interested. You know, I mean, I don't really care, you know, what you have, because because this is this is our guide. I mean, this is our guide as we navigate life. It's okay, what does the Word of God have to say? Peter's thinking that through, and, and he's like, okay, this is exactly, you know, God brings a verse to mind. He's like, okay, yeah, this is what that is. And, and so at that moment, he begins to reason. He says in verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? It's one of those spaces that as God begins to move in our lives, sometimes bringing us into things that are uncomfortable, that's got to be our question. You know, God is, this, is God, is this you? Is this you? And he's able to say this. He says, this is, God's doing something here. God gave them the Spirit the same way He gave me, and, and, and He's beginning to, to recognize what that is. He's beginning to say, okay, God, this is, not only is this biblical, this is you, uh, you're working in this story, and He just says it so well at the end in verse 17 there, who was I that I could withstand God? Like, what right do I have to look and say, no, God, no, we're not doing that. Like, you know, I know, I know, I know the Bible says so, and I know you're doing it, but it's like, who am I to stand in front of God and say, no, like, you can't. You can't do that. 
Well, he shares the whole story, and it says, When they heard these things, they became silent and glorified God, saying, Then God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Hey, a bunch of stuff there, but I just want to give it to you in a simple way. What happens in Peter and what happens in the church there in Jerusalem is they recognize, okay, this is God, and we need to get in line with him. Uh, He's doing something, and, uh, you know, it's made me uncomfortable. It's, It's kind of pressed me into something that I wasn't thinking was a great idea, but you know what? If this is God... Um, count me in, like, uh, you know, I'm going to get in line, and, and they move from a place of being resistant or obstinate uh, into a space of saying, okay, well, I guess we're going to do something we haven't done before. I guess Gentiles are going to get saved. You know, I guess God is granting to Gentiles repentance to life, and we're going to glorify God and say yes, and this is a really beautiful moment. Hey, we'll talk about it a, a little bit more as we move through the rest of the evening, I would love to tell you that this is how it always happens. I would love to tell you that God's people always respond uh, this way, but that's not the reality. Uh, For some of you, it wasn't your reality. You're like, man, I got right there, and I still was like, no way, God. Like, nope, I don't really care. You know, I'm not, and, and sometimes people can get to this moment where God's trying to do something forward, and they can just say, I'm, no, like, I, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm not going to move in that direction. And that obstinance can be ours. It, it can be. But when it goes that way, it messes us up from things that God has for us. But what you're seeing here, is it done right? I mean, in one sense, they, they were right to question. Like, hey, is this gone? I mean, we, we've never done it this way before. I mean, Gentiles getting saved, is this, is this really okay? And, and, and so they, they're able to watch the story, hear God moving in the rest of it. They compare it with Scripture. They get a sense that it's God, and they come and say, okay, what do we have to say to that? They're silent. It says again there in, in verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent, and they just glorified God. They said, this is God. And they said, then God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And they find themselves moved into a space of being able to walk in what God has and that's just a good space. Hey, if I can again hold it out to you, I don't know if this is just memories for somebody here this evening that's helping you to understand where you've been, but I don't know if anybody's right there right now. And then God's trying to do something in your life. He's trying to move you into something. It's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I got to, I feel uncomfortable. You know, I've never, you know, I've never, you know, shared the gospel before maybe, or I've not, you know, kind of used, you know, and God, that makes, and just, but like, like, God, if you're in, if this is what you do, and this is how you work, then the right thing for me is to not be obstinate any longer. The right thing is for me to say, who am I to argue with God. I mean, he's God, I'm not, and and hands down, that's where I need to be. Hey, that's what's happening. That's what's happening in the church. That's what's happening in Peter. It's a really good story. Well, with that kind of holding there for that moment, continue to see the story. It picks up there in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one, but Jews only. But some of them were from men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of believed and turned to the Lord. So in this section, I'm going to kind of say, you know, not only are they going to be walking in it, they're going to be invited to bless or, you know, put their their recognition of what God is doing in the midst of this. And as we're watching all this, it's good and important for you to understand, hey, God is just continuing to work. So we get the story. So Stephen, you know, is is martyred. Uh, The church begins this persecution. The church is scattered. It's scattered throughout the known world, which is what it refers to. And people were preaching the gospel. Everywhere they went, they were telling other people about Jesus, but... It was pretty much just Jews telling other Jews. That's kind of where it was, but then something happened. There were some men, it tells us, who were from uh, Cyprus and Cyrene, who they began to speak to Hellenists. Now, just quick FYI for some of you Bible students, that word that's used here for Hellenists, it's not the same way it's used in in chapter 6. These are not, you know, Greek-speaking Jews. These are Greeks. These are people who are, you know, in, in this kind of Greek world. These are Gentiles, and the Gentiles get saved. 
I mean, they're, they're there, they're preaching the gospel, and it says the hand of the Lord is on them. In fact, a great number of them turn to the Lord. So in one sense, what I want you to think through for, with me for just a moment is, once more, this is what God is doing. God is taking the church to where they're not just reaching Jews, they're reaching Gentiles. We saw it happen with Cornelius, and now it's happening in Antioch. Now it's happening in Cyprus. I mean, now it's going in, in, in other spaces. And maybe one of the things I want to just kind of point out or kind of give it in, in a little bit of a thought that is a little bit, maybe my own opinion, my, my, my place in taking it here, you know, had the church in Jerusalem not have joined God, not have said, okay, God, I guess we're reaching the Gentiles, um, they would have missed this because God wasn't waiting for them. God wasn't waiting for them to agree. Uh, God wasn't waiting for them to say, okay, I guess we're going to share. He was already doing it. People in, in Antioch are already getting saved. God is doing this work that moves forward, and, and God's work would have gone forward without them. God's for, he would have continued his work in saving people because that's what he's doing. Jesus is building his church. He doesn't need us to agree with that. He's going to do it. And yet if they had kind of held to their stubbornness, it wouldn't have stopped God from working. It just would have meant they would have missed it. Once more, I, I, I'm doing my very best to just say, hey, it would be great if that's what God's people always did. If we could say, yep, that's what they always do. God's people are always submissive and we always say yes it's just not so. Uh, the sad reality of the last 2,000 years is that this has happened over and over, that God's doing a work, and sometimes people get, no, it's my way. We have to do it this way. Like, this is the only way, you know, we can do church. We can't do church any other way other than this, and then sometimes God does it, and, and, and then the, the gospel again moving forward, and for some that hold into their stubbornness, they just are kind of left behind. And it really is a history of one of the reasons why there are so many uh, denominations. I don't know if you ever kind of think about that. You drive around our streets and you wonder, so why are there so many denominations? Why, you know, why, why all these different churches? For the most part, it's this right here. God was doing a work, and somewhere along the line, people go, nope, it's got to happen this way. Like, people only get saved you know, you know, you know, doing it the way that I've done it, and, they, and this is the only, you know, they have to sing the hymns I sung, they gotta, you know, be in church the way I was in church, and so people get stubborn, and then sometimes God's like, okay, well, I'm just, and so an awakening will happen, a revival will happen outside of that, and, and so often it's just a missing it. So again, just pointing it out, had it not gone well for the church in Jerusalem, they would have missed it, but I want to tell you again, this is going well, because they've already just said, okay, like this is God, uh, we're going to do this. And so God is continuing the work. People are getting saved. The hand of the Lord is upon them again, verse 21. Great numbers of people are believing. And that news now gets to Jerusalem. Verse 22, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Wow. So the church hears, they hear, hey, God's doing it. Like, more Gentiles are getting saved. It's not just Cornelius. I mean, there's whole you know, cities being impacted by the gospel. They hear the news, and they decide to send somebody to check it out. Good, good thing to do, by the way. Good kind of thing. But it's interesting that they sent Barnabas. Now, hands down, there's just no doubt probably what they were thinking when they sent Barnabas. Well, why? Because we've already met him. We already met Barnabas. Some of you know Barnabas. We know who he is. It told us back in Acts chapter 4 that his name was Joseph, but he was named Barnabas by the apostles, which means, which is translated son of encouragement. I mean, they actually give him a nickname. Like, you are just, you are the most encouraging, uplifting, building up person. We're going to give you a new name. We're not just, we're not going to call you Joseph anymore. We're going to call you Barnabas because you're like the master of encouragement. You're like the, you know, if anybody is encouraging and kind of being able to come in and speak encouragement, that's, so that's his name. I mean, so hands down, we know who he is. I mean, this is Barnabas is a good, he's, he's that guy. And so they chose to send Barnabas. Why? Well, because they have a sense this is God. I mean, they're not sending somebody to be, you know, legalistic and, you know, go in there and like, okay, are you sure you're doing it right? It's like, no, I think, I think God's moving it. We need to send somebody who would go and, and, and be encouraging and go in and, and see what God is doing. But the choice already lets us know that they're not standing in opposition to what God's doing. They're, they're trying to encourage 
what God is doing in this world. That's a cool story. Oh, oh, by the bat, that's a cool story in the midst of it. And that's exactly what Barnabas does. He comes into this and he's a man who encourages them. It tells us in verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Wow. Hey, it's just well said. Hey, can I just tell you, hey, Barnabas is a really good example. Hey, all of us are called to be encouragers. Hey, you might be here tonight, and it's not just something that we're all called to do. It might be your gifting. There is a gifting of encouragement, and this is this guy, and he does it well. Had we lots of time, we could dive into a bunch of stuff there, but I just want you to see a couple of things. So it says when he came in verse 23, and he'd seen the grace of God. It might be just an interesting note for anybody kind of technical. It's the first time. It's the first time in in, in the Bible that salvation is going to be just packaged in that term. Paul's going to talk about it a lot in the book of Romans later, that he's going to call it the grace of God, that we see, that we look upon salvation and say, that's God's grace. Uh, It's the grace of God that brings salvation, you know, that I'm not ashamed of, that Paul will say. And so, but it's the first time that he just looks and says, that's grace. That's God's work. This, he looks at people getting saved, he recognizes it for what it is, and it excites him, which is just a good thing. I mean, just like, and Barnabas like, he's just glad. He just gets there and goes, this is God, and he's so excited about it, and he encouraged them, which is his name, son of encouragement. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they would continue with the Lord. He just comes and says, hey, guys, keep doing it. Walk with God. Keep going with God. Keep, keep moving with God. I mean, God is moving. You want to stay uh, in that space of, of, of following him, and he just speaks into that, and on top of that, he's just encouraging him. He believes God, and he's filled with the Spirit, and a lot of people are saved. It tells us that a great many are added to the Lord. So it's a good part of the story that they are doing this, which coming back to this place is this place where they're saying, hey, we want to get behind what God's doing. Like, not only are we going to walk in that, we're going to send encouragement. But Barnabas does one other thing that is absolutely fascinating. So he gets down there, and in verse 25, it says, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Barnabas gets down there, and he is exactly who he is. He's a man of encouragement, and somehow he gets to Antioch, and he is excited. He's excited over what God is doing. He's encouraging him there, and when he gets there, he just, in his mind, he's like, I know. I know who would fit in this situation very well. He'd already met him. Uh, when, when Paul got saved, Saul at this point in time is, is still his name. Uh, he had gotten saved, had come to Jerusalem, it tells us, you know, back there in Acts 9, and, and the church had been resistant. Barnabas met him, found out he had a real genuine faith. He introduces him to the apostles, so he already has a relationship with Paul. And yet here he is, he just sees it and says, you know, I know who would fit this. And this is the beginning of really Paul's ministry. I mean, this is how Paul's going to find his footing uh, there in Antioch, how he's going to become uh, one that's going to be a part of, you know, seeing this happen, and he's gonna, you're going to watch Barnabas be a part of this whole thing, and that's just a really good space. I want to take just a moment to encourage you to think about it this way. Most of you know it. In Hebrews, we have one of those verses that sometimes are well-known uh, by people in churches where it tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 25, that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of song. True story. Christians were meant to need each other. Uh, nobody can do this alone. Uh, nobody can live the Christian life alone. It doesn't work that way. And so he tells us, hey, don't be that person who isolates yourself. Don't forsake uh, being a part of the church, which he says is the manner of song. But let me just pause and say, I just took that phrase out of the middle of a sentence. So it's a part of the sentence. It's a big part of it. But it's bigger than just saying, hey, go to church. Don't, don't, don't not go to church. It's bigger than that. In fact, it begins by saying, hey, let's consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So, so I want you to think about each other. I want you to think about each other and think, huh, 
Who could I encourage? Who could I look and say, hey, you would, it would be really great to do that. And he says, we ought to do that and exhort one another, which, by the way, is the same word, encourage. Hey, we want to encourage one another. He says, and do that even more so as we see the day approaching, that somehow as we get closer and closer to the end times, this becomes a greater need. So I just want to give it to you this way as quickly as I can. What Barnabas does here, we need to be about. That we come to church not just thinking about ourselves. I don't know how to say that in a better way, but just to kind of quickly unpack it, the sad reality in our self-centered world, for many of us, church is all about me. Make me happy. Sing a song I like. Tell me something that makes me feel good. But he says, no, I want you to gather, and I want you to look at other people and think, who could I encourage? Who could I, who could I say, hey, God has a plan for your life? That sometimes what happens for Saul is exactly the way it happens. Like, we'll see a situation, and what God would so often want to happen is you to go, oh, I know who should be doing that. Like, I look over at this, and it's like, dude, I know who's perfect for that. I know who should be doing that. And he says, hey, go find that person, encourage them, and say, hey, you should be doing that. Can I give you just a quick secret? Hey, most people that start serving God serve God exactly this way. Uh, that most people who get involved in any ministry get involved because somebody personally invites them. Because somebody comes and says, hey, you know what? You would be great on the worship team. You would be a great children's ministry teacher. Boy, I look at that and I think of you. It, it's a funny thing, but I'm, I, I tell our, our leaders all the time. I tell people, our leaders in ministry, hey, if you think me getting up on a Sunday morning and announcing anything, that does virtually nothing. I mean, I've almost never, like, there's not like, hey, we're going to announce there's a need in the kids' ministry, and people are like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, I'm totally in. Like, I'm going to, it just almost, it, it is so rare that sometimes I honestly wonder, like, I don't even know why we do announcements. I don't, I'm not exactly sure, because, you know, it's not like anybody's going to be like it. But most time what happens is that just sets the framework, and then somebody's like, oh, I know. I know who that is. I, I know exactly who should be doing that. And then we get to be those who come and get to tell somebody, hey, you know, I, when I think about you, you, you have that gift, you're an evangelist, or you're a worship leader, or you have that, and I just want to tell you, I think it would be great for you to do that. That's how it almost always happens. I mean, it's how it always happens, and so again, it's a great space that I just take a moment and say, hey, what Barnabas does here should be the normative for church, that he says, hey, that's what we do. We come together, and we look over at one another and think, I, I want to encourage somebody today. I, you know, it should be almost like, I come to church, and I'm hoping by the time I'm done, I get to encourage somebody. That would be great. I mean, that's really what church is supposed to be about. And we ought to be able to say, hey, I want to do that because I want to exhort one another. And if, it, if, we're, if it's getting worse and worse that we're becoming more individualistic in the last days, then this is more needed. And I just want to tell you, 100% it is. Uh, COVID did horrible things for, for, for church community. On top of that, we live in a digital world that is isolating people actually more and more doing this is becoming more needed, not less than it ever has before. And so, boy, we want to do that. And so that's what they do. They're able to see what God is doing. They send Barnabas to it. Barnabas is encouraging them not only with his words, but with finding the right guy who would come in and say, hey, we want to, we, we want to see this thing that God is doing. We want to see it go forward. God is doing a work here in Antioch. We want that to continue happening. And I know who would help that. And they spend a year there. They spend a year discipling the, the people, investing into their lives. It's a really great story. And, and again, it's just a good space of where all of that is happening. In the midst of that, we do get another one of those little nuggets. You probably saw it. At the end of verse 26, it tells us, um, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That's where it begins. It's now the, the really name, the title that we go by, that we would say, okay, we're Christians followers of Jesus. Uh, that's who we are. Before this, has never they've not been called that. It's been called the way. Uh, they've been called followers. They've been called disciples. Uh, but here it happens for the first time, and interesting reality. Much we could say about it, but it's worth noting. This is where it's stuck, and somehow that's powerful. That somehow that understanding that we think about God doing a work in the world, it begins here in Antioch, where 
Gentiles are getting saved, where, where, where it's moving the church out of their comfort zone, where it's moving people beyond that. It's a beautiful moment that really defines all that God is doing and everything that's moving forward. So we're watching this. We're watching this place where they're walking in, uh, this place which is uncomfortable, and they bless it. They bless it both with words. They send Barnabas. Barnabas raises it up. They've done their best to encourage what God is doing. But the story's not done here in chapter 11. There's one other little nugget that makes it fascinating because it tells it to us this way in verse 27. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine uh, throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So, we're not going to watch this blessing flow back the other direction, which I'll talk a little bit more back in a moment. But we get this place where there's a prophetic warning, where they have a prophet that stands up and says, hey, there's, there's a famine coming. There's a famine coming that's actually going to impact the whole world. God's warning them. God's doing a good job with doing it. I don't want to spend a bunch of time on it, but quickly to answer a question, if anybody's asking it, does God still do this? I'm certain he does. But we have a problem that there's so much deception in our world, sometimes it's hard to figure it out. Um, can God give somebody a prophetic message that would give us warning? Yeah, absolutely. But I give you just one quick understanding. If it's God, if it's prophetic, it's always right. Uh, anybody who says they have a prophecy and it doesn't work out, um, don't ever listen to them again. Uh, you know, don't ever, you know, you know, if you're like, you know, you get some, you know, email, or you get something like, hey, someone sent that happened, that's great. See if it happens. I mean, because God has said, hey, that's the proof of anybody who says they're a prophet, which is exactly what happened here. I mean, they, they warned of, of a famine, and it happened. So you just kind of notice it. it says, one of them named Agabus, verse 28, stood up and showed by the Spirit there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened. I mean, they said it. It happened. It's a good warning. God can do that, and God can give warnings in the midst of that, which is just a, a fun little reality to think it through. But I want to leave that there and then just draw you back to it because now they hear it. Hey, there's going to be a worldwide famine. And notice what they do. Then the disciples, verse 29, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and they sent it by the elders, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So just track for a moment. Just track for a moment. So Gentile believers raise money to support the church that's back there in Jerusalem. Even though it's going to be a worldwide famine, somehow they recognize, hey, Jerusalem's already suffering. Uh, the, the, the persecution there is already pretty intense. And they just recognize it's going to be really, really hard on those people there. So they, they do this really cool thing where they're going to reach out and support them, where they're going to do this. And I suppose I want to come back and try to say what I've already said. Hey, this could have been missed. Had the church in Jerusalem stuck in their stubbornness and said, nope, we are not blessing this. We are not recognizing Antioch as a work of God. We're going to say, no, you know, no way. We don't like you. You know, you guys, God would have still done it. Uh, people still would have gotten saved in Antioch, but they would have missed out because in one sense, they thought they were blessing the Gentiles, but the Gentiles were actually going to turn around and bless them. Uh, that by the end of the chapter, it's like, <laughs> you thought, you know, I mean, you kind of thought, hey, I guess we're going to say, you know, we're going to bless the Gentiles, we're going to send Barnabas to them and encourage them, and it's like, now it's the Gentiles who are upholding that, who are, who are bringing back that blessing in, in a pretty incredible way, which is, for me, just part of the interesting story that I want to just tell you one last time. I wish it always happened that way. I wish it always happened that way. I wish the church for the last 2,000 years was like, hey, it always happens that way. It's just not true. Sometimes it happens where God begins to move in a different way. Uh, people get to get saved. It doesn't happen in a, in, in a church the way that church was done in that moment. Uh, people maybe on the streets are getting saved or open-air preaching. It's happened throughout church time, and, and people, it gets out of what they're used to happening. And sometimes the church gets really obstinate, like, nope, you know, nope. Uh, you know, there are stories, if you know, of the Great Awakening and revivals when George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards were preaching the gospel. There were literally churches that locked the doors, you know, uh, barred them from ever entering, like, no, you can't bring your gospel here. And so they would just, 
stand out on street corners and, and, and stand at, you know, top of places preaching the gospel and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people get saved. And it's this amazing movement. And yet sometimes the church finds itself stubbornly resisting. And yet the blessing that God was doing wasn't just that they would recognize it, it would have flowed back. Uh, it would have revived churches. It would have breathed life into things that God was doing. And yet sometimes it's just a sad reality that it doesn't go that way. Again, I hold that to you because in some ways I think that's where I want you to think it through with me for a few minutes this evening. Because, hey, this is a singular story. This is the, the, a moment in time where the gospel was, was you know, going beyond the borders, which was going outside of Jewish hands into the Gentile world. Hey, that's our world. For most of us, we know that. It's not shocking to us as it was to them. But God still does this. And I don't know where this is for you this evening. I don't know where this lands for you this evening. Again, for some of you, this is your story. You're able to say, hey, that looks exactly like what happened to me, that you know, God you know, began moving me and drawing me into places that I didn't see and, and taking me forward into places that, and, and you were able to walk in that. That's great. For some of you, that's not what you did. You're able to say, I didn't do it right. And you're able to repent even now. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was resistant. I'm sorry I fought you. God is gracious, and he restores and builds up but I suppose I want to just speak it into this moment. See, I don't know where it is right now. I don't know where it is for you, but I know this, Jesus is still doing his work. That Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna build my church. Uh, The gates of Hades is not gonna withstand it. And yet so often the problem is not that Jesus is faithful, but that we're being invited to say, okay, am I gonna say yes to God? You know, as he does things outside of my comfort zone, as he does things, am I gonna be like Peter? And I'm gonna say, who am I? Who am I to tell God no? Like, what right do I ever have to resist the things of God? You know, what I need to be in that place is we're saying, okay, God, well, like, if this is you, then I want to get, I want to get online. I want to bless that. I want to encourage it. I want to, I want to speak life into it. I want to send encouragement to it. And the funny thing is that that's where we often find our blessing. And I don't know where that is for you this evening. I don't know where that would speak into anything that's in your life right now but I want to tell you it's a big part of the story. And it just doesn't always go well. Hey, you fight God, you resist him, you're not gonna stop his work. Uh, He'll he'll do his work anyway. He'll do his work through somebody else. He'll do his work in other ways. But you'll miss it. You'll miss out on being a part of it, and you'll miss out on the blessing that flows back towards you. And and I wanna just tell you there's such a better way. It can go this way. It can go this way in your life. It can go this way in my life where we see what God is doing. We surrender to that. And I just wonder where that is this evening. Yeah, maybe someone's here this evening and you're in this room or you're joining us online and it's, it's the very fundamental beginning issue that the very problem isn't just being agreeing with God, it's getting saved. That you're in that space that honestly, it's, it's your resistance. Like, I don't know if I want to believe this. I don't know if I want to accept. I, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if I like heaven and hell. I, I, I don't know if I want to accept all those things. And you find yourself stubborn. And, and God has been telling you. He's been making it clear that God loved the world. He sent his son who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave. And you're being invited into that place of saying, okay, am I going to say yes to God? Or I'm going to say no to God. Am I going to tell him no? Like, no, it, it, it wouldn't hinder him. It's not going to hurt Christ. It'll hurt you. It'll keep you from salvation. It'll keep you from what he has for you. It'll keep you from that, and I invite you not to do that. If today's that day that you need to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time, can I tell you, it's a good surrender to come in and say, God, your will be done. I am. I want to be, I want to be in your work. I want to see God's grace. I want God's grace, and I want to be a part of it. But again, maybe you're here this evening and that's, that you've done that. But the weird thing, again, is that sometimes the grace that we've experienced is not the grace that we so easily continue to walk in. Where Peter's able to say, hey, you know, God's doing what he did for us. He's doing it for other people. We, we find ourselves missing that. And I don't know where that is for you this evening. But I'm inviting you into a space that you could say, okay, if it's uncomfortable, if it's outside my comfort zone, I want to be one that says, okay, if, if I can see it's God, and it's biblical, and it's right, I, I want to I bless it. You know, somehow, I want to be a part of it. I want to see what he's doing. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the world today. I, I want to see 
his salvation work as it's, as it's going forward biblically, rightly. I want to be a part of all that that is. And maybe that's inviting you into something outside of your comfort zone. Maybe, again, God's inviting you to, you know, share the gospel in a way you've never done so. You're like, I don't, I don't do that. Like, I don't do that. Like, other people, you know, they can knock on a door and share the gospel. Not me. <laughs> I don't do that. Like, that's not my thing. It's like, it's like well, why not? You know, why not? Let's, why, 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 why can't I use you? You know, why can't I take you beyond what, what you've wanted? Would you be willing to say yes to what God is? That you would say, okay, who am I to fight God? Who am I? To, to withstand him. So let's close this evening and close your Bibles, your notebooks, and whatever uh, you have open, and I just want to invite you into a place where you would answer that question and say, I, I have no right to fight him. God is God, and, and I want to say yes. I want to say, I want to say, not my will, but yours be done. I want to say yes to you, and whatever that is, uh, again, maybe it's surrendering to Jesus for the first time, or maybe, again, it's stepping into whatever he's leading you to. Maybe he just wanted to give you that heart that you could say, God, I, I want to be with you. I want to be what you're doing. I want to be a part of all that that is. May God work that afresh in you and I this evening. Let's go before him in prayer and ask that. Father, thank you for just the wonderful part of the story and getting to watch how the church was moving forward and growing. And I thank you for this chapter in part because it's just so beautiful. I watch it, and I watch them do it well. I watch them respond. I watch hearts humble. I watch them embrace you and say yes to you. And God, I wish that was always the story. I wish we could look on this and say, this is always how it goes for Christians. It's just not. God, sometimes we're very stubborn. Uh, Sometimes we're hard-hearted. Sometimes we are rebellious and, and fighting you tooth and nail to our own hurt. God, thank you that you're still working. Thank you that you're still saving. But God, I just ask that you would bring us into a space that we'd want to be a part of what you're doing. In fact, I, I think I want to just close praying that and thinking about that verse specifically from Hebrews, that you tell us that we are not to neglect being a part of a church. We're not to neglect God's people. God, help us not to do that. But help it to be more than church attendance. Would you make us those who are excited about what you're doing and we're encouraging people daily? We're we're, we're looking upon people. We're encouraging them. We're exhorting them so much more as we see the day approaching. God, would you help us to be those who are a part of what you're doing? Wherever that is, that we'd be able to encourage it in our lives, in other people's lives, that we'd be able to encourage them to step forward into what you would have for their life. Lord, that we would be those who are doing what Barnabas did and what the church does here, following you, surrendering to you. God, I guess I just want to ask, please do it again. And and I know it's a weird ask in the sense, because I know you're faithful. I know you're going to be faithful regardless. But God, I'm just asking you to help us to not be stubborn, to not argue, to not hold back, to not resist you and our arrogance. Help us to say yes, yes to you, and to see your work go forward in just real and good ways. God, I thank you for it. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your grace that is salvation. I thank you for what it is to be a Christian. Thank you for what you're doing in all of this, and I just ask that you'd help us to walk in that more. We ask for it right now. In Jesus' name, amen.